want to begin here today talking about communion and this word koinonia. We're going to talk about the, our fellowship here at the table. Um, what's going to just read out of here from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 46. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And in verse 46, Luke continues to write, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Once again, we're, we're, we're sort of returning to a, a rhythm and practice that leads us back here. Back here again to the table of the Lord back again to the celebration of the Eucharist, back again to the table of remembrance. For the 10 years that, that we've been serving here in the church, we have practiced communion month over month, and typically on the first Sunday of every month. And you're saying, well, how come we did it last month? Well, last month was special. Gerald's going like that. We had five of these. What was that? Five Sundays, thanks. You didn't leave me hanging there. I wasn't just waving at you. Five Sundays. I, I don't think you could ever wear out this table. And what you would find out from the book of Acts is day over day, they met together. They practiced the breaking of bread. They celebrated. They prayed. They enjoyed one another's company. They enjoyed the company of the Holy Spirit, of God himself. Well, this one Sunday of every month, every time the one Sunday of every month comes up, I'm always asking, are, are we celebrating enough? And it certainly, as we, <laughs> as we were trudging along through, trudging along, making our way through COVID and all of the restrictions when we couldn't meet at all, we were asking this question, is, is, the, is the Eucharist, is the, is the table of his presence something that we need to practice more and more of? It's still a question we're asking. But it is something. We took on something that this church has practiced for like 21 years. And, and here again, the Eucharist is something that we have shared with the church since the very night that Jesus was betrayed. This is something that the church has practiced throughout her history. That night, Jesus prepared a Passover meal for himself, for his closest disciples. And during that meal, Jesus took bread and he th gave thanks to, to God for it. Breaking it into pieces and before his friends, Jesus said, take it. And eat your fill. I love how the passion says that. Take it and eat your fill. This is my body which is given for you. Today we're going we're to practice the remembrance and celebration of that meal. And we're going to do that shortly enough. But before we do, I, I, I want us here in this place... And maybe with some of you who are watching online, I, I want us to consider the importance of truly being present and together as we remember Jesus. 
Our opening scripture, our Luke's short form and best description out of Acts, our, his best description of what those earliest days looked like for the 3,000 or so Jews who had been swept up into faith and in Jesus and by the Pentecostal release of God's Spirit that was at work in the church. For too many through the centuries, the Lord table, um, I think, though, has become a personal space uh, just between us in God. And please don't get me wrong, I, I believe that the personal practice of communion with Jesus can be an important part of our connection in the, our restorative journey with Jesus. I, I've, I've talked to some in this fellowship who, through a season of dire need and healing, part of their journey was to practice meeting Jesus in communion every morning of that restorative year that God came to change their situation and their health. I think that's a great testimony. But I think for far too long, for too many through the centuries, the Lord table has become like this personal place where it's just been about God and us. But it can't and shouldn't be the only place that we practice communion. For Jesus in the early church, the breaking of bread was never just a personal exercise. It was something that was to be explored. It was something to be enjoyed with others and potentially inclusive of others who were maybe entirely different than ourselves. Matthew 26 Verses 27 and 28, even when Jesus first broke the bread and distributed the cup, he said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for how many? Many. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Right out of the gate. And right from his earliest demonstration and in his commandment to remember him through the Eucharist, Jesus reminds us, he reminds his disciples, he's reminding his church, this is not just about you, but it's about the many. Jesus invites us to look outward and, and not just inward. To which I am inviting you, even here in our, our space today, in our, in our small gathering today, I, I'm inviting you to actually look around. And not just with your physical eyes, but with the eyes of your heart. And hopefully being enlightened. Who are you seeing around you here? Now, have you ever found yourself looking at people? I find it one of the funnest things to do. I do a lot of looking when I'm like on the on a ferry ride or, you know, I'm going places where I, I shouldn't be looking at a lot of people while I'm driving. My wife tells me that. But too, too often I'm, I'm looking not at the road ahead of me, but I'm scanning everything around. But, but who are you seeing around you? And then importantly, like, how are you seeing them? those people that are around you. 
And as I thought on this, it does eventually come back around. How do, how do I actually see myself? And in the company of people that I'm with. And maybe, maybe the question I'm asking is a little bit too intimate here today. If we, you know, if we had, you know, 100 people sitting in here, wouldn't, maybe that question be, you could relax a little bit more. And you could actually look at somebody without them seeing you looking at them. You know, have you ever, <laughs> have you ever experienced that? Oh no, eye contact, look down at the floor. <laughs> but how, how are you seeing yourself in the company of the people that you're with? And then this question came to me, and, and especially in this season, who aren't you seeing? Just think about those things. That pregnant pause in there is actually for effect. Because what are you thinking about these things? Koinonia, you know that it's a word that isn't specifically set aside for the church. That might seem like a shock to you, but it, it's not. But we've embraced it. We've embraced it out of the, the Greek language. It's a Greek word that's been employed multiple times in the New Testament to describe our relationship as the church. Koinonia was employed by Greek-speaking culture to describe anything from corporations to the most intimate of marriage relationships. That's, a, that's, that's pretty wide. It's a pretty wide birth, isn't it? In some context, it can be translated. It can be referred to something that's commonly held, uh, a contributed gift. It can be translated into important words in the New Testament like fellowship or or sharing, or participation, and, and contribution. You see how, how those are all active words? Importantly, the word is used to describe our connection with the divine nature of God. Our divine fellowship with one another. And with the Father and with His Son, Jesus. And with His Holy Spirit. It's a word that can be used to describe our divine fellowship and, and sharing with His suffering. And even with His future glory. The New Testament writers use this word koinonia to speak about both our unity with Christ but also our unity and fellowship with other believers. When we gather around the Lord's table, are we not fellowshipping with the risen Christ himself? I see a few heads nodding behind the mass. That's good. But are we also not fellowshipping with his church? Now, here today. Are we not fellowshipping with the church throughout history? 
Koinonia just depicts a, an interactive relationship between God and believers who share this new life together. Koinonia implies that we have some connection to one another, some participation in, in the community with other believers, a place where we share in spiritual blessing and where we give of ourselves. Listen, the, the multiplied coming together of God's people as the body of Christ is, is so much greater than the sum of people living independently from one another. Did, do you hear what I'm saying there? We're so much greater when we come together and we celebrate with one another than living independently from one another. Western Christianity and the, and the great social media experiment has culminated in a colossal disconnection of people suffering in isolation. Never have we had so many different ways to, and so many options to be quote-unquote connected to people, but never have we felt so isolated and disconnected as we do at this time. Never have we had so many ways of being digitally distracted and entertained. You can, you can fill your life. You don't have to sleep. If you didn't have to sleep, you could, you could go 24-7. Watch Netflix into oblivion. Like you could, you could do that. I wouldn't recommend it. There's a, about a, a, it feels like a million or a billion organizations that I, I can be <laughs> belong to and networked with. It, it's, it sort of creeps up on you, doesn't it, when you have email? Like they said, would you like to receive our newsletter? <laughs> Maybe your vineyard church has done that to you. Would you like to receive our, our newsletter? <laughs> but you got to be selective because the next thing you know, my wife is going on the email and she's going, oh my goodness, what have you done here? Like she's, all of a sudden, Debbie wants to do house cleaning on my emails because I've got like, yeah, like I've got email, a plethora of emails coming to me. People wanting to be connected to me. But never have people felt more desperate, more depressed and lonely as they do now. Now, of course, the pandemic is exasperated that situation, hasn't it? I believe that we've been seduced to becoming consumers instead of being vulnerable, incarnate, and actually fully engaged with one another. Now look at Jesus' life. How many lives did he really practically pour himself into when he was here? Many. Intimately? Gerald thinks, absolutely. Practically, he poured his life out into 12, didn't he? And then he sent them out and he told them to go do the same. 
Don't get me wrong. I, I think the internet in Canada does provide some means of connection where, where it might otherwise not happen. I know, I know of a few people that are listening online or will, will check, us, check things out online through the week, and that's an important connection for them. But I want to encourage all of us that nothing replaces memorable and meaningful and life-transformative living than being with one another and in the company and in the fellowship of God's Holy Spirit. Koinonia. I believe that the most important gift that we can bring to God and one another is ourselves. It's you. You yourself. You yourself being fully yielded to God. A fully living sacrifice of worship on God's altar that is this world. Is, that, is it not the greatest gift that you bring? That, that thing, that person that's you? Like what, did, what was the greatest gift that God could possibly give us? It was himself. It was his son, his incarnate son who, who came to the earth to sojourn with this. For the early church, the breaking of bread was done in the context of a meal known as the love or the agape feast. Now, although the Messianic Jews, those 3,000 that I mentioned, the early church, they still continued to gather in the temple. But they also broke bread in their homes. The 12 loaves of showbread that were presented next to the Holy of Holies in the temple was an important symbol that pointed to God as the source of life-sustaining deliverance and nourishment. And every Sabbath, that bread was exchanged with new bread, and only then did the priest consume the bread that had been left. Now, the breaking of bread wasn't something that the early church celebrated in the context of the temple. But it was something that was freely celebrated in their homes. Every time they all ate it together. It was a practice that spoke less about form and more about being God's family and family to one another. Most biblical scholars would agree that the New Testament worship was entirely based around a meal. There would be preaching and singing. There would even be prayer and, and an exercise of spiritual gifts. Is, is that so? how some of your meals go at home? Do those things happen for you? But the meal was right at the heart, right at the center of it all. And somewhere during the meal, God would be praised. Bread would be broken and, and wine would be offered up. And in remembrance of Jesus who had laid his life down for the fellowship of his followers. Now his body's been laid down for the healing of our broken lives and bodies. His blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And all of it done to redeem and to renew our lives. To welcome us in. To welcome us back into fellowship with him. And back into a place of belonging with his family. All of this has been 
inviting us into something much bigger than ourselves. To ignore the corporate nature and the coming together in the fellowship with other believers, I think is to miss out on an important feature of what is this meal. Not only do we miss out on primary truths that are found in our scriptures, but we miss out on a, on a primary foundation for creation itself. Created in God's image, Adam lived in a perfect garden. That's, you remember the story? It's kind of how it starts off, right? The book. Do you know that right out of the gate, he enjoyed intimate and unrestricted access to God. He walked with him in the cool of every day, and out of which Adam was given authority and dominion. And despite it all, God looked on Adam and saw, it is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. Adam needed fellowship that stretched beyond his relationship with God. In a way, it was a kind of a mirror, wasn't it? In fact, Adam couldn't even fulfill his God-designed mandate to be fruitful and multiply without that human comfort and fellowship. Now, the same applies to us. Beyond ourselves, beyond our intimate connection to and being with God, we are called and we are summoned to give ourselves to one another. Do you want to experience real love in this world? Jesus says there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Wow. When you consider the meal that Jesus has prepared for his disciples and the table that he invites us all to, I, I want to come back to something I asked before. Are you looking just beyond yourself? Jesus invites us to look outward, not just inward, not just inward, but he invites us to look outward too. I want to invite all of us today and, and every time that we gather and, and maybe even when we're alone at home thinking about who what we might to be praying for even now or reaching out to, I want you to think about actually looking around and, and not just with your physical eyes, but with the eyes of your heart being opened by Christ. Who are you seeing around you? Who are you proximate to? How do you think God sees them? And how is God helping you to see them? How do you see them now? Be, be honest with how you think you see them now. But turn all of that over to Jesus and invite him to show you who they are.